Okay, so um, here's the question this morning. Uh, we have been in a Bible basics series for a while now, and we went and looked at the death last week. What, what is the meaning of Jesus' death called the atonement, called the cross? Why did Jesus die today? Uh, we look at the resurrection. So here's the question. Why did Jesus rise? Why did Jesus rise? Now, some of you are here today to be challenged. Uh, you, you've come here and you've come to church to hear how you can be happy, to hear how you can be holy, to hear how you can be healthy. Uh, you want to be challenged. You want to know how you can be like a Moses and how you can be like an Abraham and how you can be like a David. You've come to be challenged because you want to be God's instrument. You want to be God's woman. You want to be God's man. You want to be something, and you've, you've come here to be challenged. And then some of you have come here uh, to check out Christianity. Um, someone invited you, and for some strange reason, you said yes. And then some of you are here to overcome. You, you want to overcome. You've Come here to overcome. You want to overcome depression. You want to overcome a sin that you're struggling with in your life. You want to overcome anxiety. You want to overcome feelings of guilt. You want to overcome at school. There's hard things going on at school. You want to overcome at home, the difficulties at home. You want to overcome the chaos that's going on in our culture. You've come here because you, you want to overcome and then some of us are here to connect. We just simply want to connect with God. We want to connect with each other. We want to connect with some meaningful mission. So you're here to connect and to activate these things in your life. And then some of us are here because we have nowhere else to go. You're lost, you're alone, and you're empty. So why, why did Jesus rise? Let's stand for the hearing of God's word. That's our question. That's what we're going to look at in all these texts that we're going to look at just today. So why did Jesus rise? In Ephesians 2.1, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins. And why did Jesus rise? We're going to look at Luke 14. And he came to Nazareth where he had brought, been brought up, as was his custom. He went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. He stood up to read, and the scroll, the prophet Isaiah, was given to him. He unrolled the scroll, found the place where it was written, and it says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recover the sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Why did Jesus rise? Now we move to the historical event itself. And he... Who's he? This is an angel. And so the text says, we're not looking at it right now, but the text says that 
Uh, it describes him as a young man, which is strange. It describes him as sitting inside the tomb, which is also strange. And it describes him as being clothed in a simple robe of lightning, which is terrifying. <laughs> and he said to them, well, who are the them? Well, there's three women. There's Mary Magdalene, he's, who when Jesus first met her, she had seven demons inside her. You had Mary, the mother of James, and you had another woman named Salome. Now, James Edward, a Bible expert, tells us how significant it is that these women are here. He says this, their witness endows the resurrection narratives with the highest degree of probability. Unless women were actually present at the tomb, the early church would scarcely have placed them there since Judaism did not accept the testimony of women. So in other words, rule number one, if you're beginning a religion, if you're beginning a religion on a mythical tale of some dude rising from the dead. You don't start with women telling the tale. You start with the superior gender in the ancient world, right? And he said to them, these women, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who is crucified. He has risen. He's not here. Why did Jesus rise? Well, the historian, the great historian of the church said, God raised him up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. So why did Jesus rise? Well, Paul, reflecting on the event, wants to give you the message of the event. He wants to tell you why he rose, and he says this. This is why faith was counted to him as righteousness, talking to Abraham. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone. Well, who are they written for? But for ours also. So it will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus, our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. This is the word of the Lord. All right, please be seated. Oh, Lord, we thank you that your words are living, your words are active, and that your words speak us back to life. And so even now, by the power of your spirit, oh, Lord, speak us back to life. So why did Jesus rise? And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. So here's the issue. The reason why you struggle to rise in your life, the reason why you struggle to overcome in your life is because you are dead, the Bible says. I mean, just just listen to how you try to overcome at work and try to overcome in all the places of your life and try to overcome relationships and how you try to overcome the brokenness in you personally and the struggle, the reason, the reason why you're struggling to rise, the reason why you're struggling to overcome, the Bible says is because you're dead. It's because you're in the grave, because we're in the grave, and because we're there, we're we're constantly trying to get out. And so the grave explains this need to rise in us. The grave explains this obsession to overcome in us. The grave explains this constant struggle to try to be more. I mean, Disney gets this. I mean, I've had so many people come up to me. Norma. Norma, the other night, Encanto. I had uh, another friend text me, hey, have you seen Encanto? Disney gets this. I mean, I know I haven't seen Encanto, but I, was, I looked up the lyrics to this popular song called Surface Pressure, and the older sister in that so- story sings this song, and evidently it's a huge hit. And it goes like this. She says, I'm the strong one. I'm not nervous. I'm as tough as the crust of the earth is. 
I move mountains, I move churches. And I glow because I know what my worth is. And then under the surface, right, that's the name of the song. So it goes under the surface and all of a sudden we go under the surface into our life, into the roots of our very being and we see a different story. We hear under the surface it's pressure like a drip, drip, drip that'll never stop. Under the surface it's pressure that'll tip, tip, tip till you just pop. Under the surface, it's pressure like a grip, 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 and it won't let go. It's pressure like a tick, tick, tick. It's ready to blow. Who am I if I can't carry it all? Who am I if I falter? Who am I if I don't have what it takes? No cracks, no breaks, no mistakes, no pressure. No mistakes, no pressure. The reason why you struggle to rise is because we're in the grave. The reason why we fail to rise is because we're in the grave. This is so, so important. If we actually get it, it will be the best news, even though it's the worst news for you to hear this morning. The meaning of dead means you have no life in you. The meaning of dead means there is no help within you. There is no rising within you. There is no overcoming within you. Dead people can't be alive. Dead people can't be like Moses. Dead people can't be like Abraham. Dead people can't be like Paul. Dead people can't be holy. Dead people can't be healthy. Dead people can't be, be, be something. Dead people can't overcome depression. Dead people can't overcome anxiety. Dead people can't overcome at work. Dead people can't overcome the toughness of being a mom. Dead people can't overcome Dead people can't be alive. Dead people can't connect to God. Dead people can't connect to each other. Dead people can't hold a friendship. Dead people can't do community. Dead people can't connect to a meaningful mission. Dead people can't be alive. Do you feel that struggle to rise inside you? If you do, the rising is for you. So why did Jesus rise? So in Luke 14, or Luke 4, 16, we find that sermon that Jesus preached, remember? So this is his very first sermon. So this is preaching 101. This is the first sermon that Jesus preaches. This is the first time he takes the pulpit. This is the first time his ministry is beginning, the first teaching. This is the teaching that's to characterize what all preaching should be. This is the teaching that's to characterize what theology 101 should be. This is the preaching, the teaching, the Bible studies that are supposed to happen to the church. This is is everything about communication, everything about doctrine in the church, and it's about ready to happen right now. It's the first time he gets up to preach, and he says this, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring you good news. 
most folks want to know, I mean, even if you don't have any interest in Christianity, you still want to know what it's all about. I mean, it's one of the, it's like one of the major movements of all human civilization. What is Christianity? Who is this Jesus? Can you imagine he's about ready to begin his ministry? It's beginning. It starts. He walks into church. He walks into the church for the first time. And everybody, this is his hometown, and everybody just kind of looks at him. And he walks up, and he opens up a scroll, and he goes to Isaiah, and he says, God has given me a mission. I've been anointed to bring you good news. And then he sits down. I mean, I want you to look at the content of what he's saying, the content of his sermon. There's no calls to be something. There's no call to be like someone. There's no call to overcome something. There's no call to connect to God, connect to people, connect to a meaningful mission. There's no call. This sermon is about one thing. The sermon has one doctrine. The sermon has one theology. Good news. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Jesus is anointed to bring you good news. Jesus' mission is to bring you good news. What do I do when I find Jesus? Good news. What is he going to do when he shows up and, he, and I meet him? Good news. What's it going to be like, like in my brokenness? Good news. But what about all that I struggle with? Good news. What about everything that's going on at home and at school, at work? Good news. What about my parenting? Good news. What about my kids? They're so messed up. Good news. And then watch what happens immediately after Jesus brings good news. Do you see it? He sat down. That's it. That's it. That was his sermon. That is Christianity. That's Theology 101. That's Preaching 101. He had nothing else to say. So who is Jesus? He says to you right now this morning, you want to know who he is? He says, I'm the one that brings good news to you. Who is Jesus? He says, everyone else is going to give you instructions. Everyone else is going to give you good advice. Everybody else is going to tell you how to overcome in your life. Everyone else is going to tell you how you can be something in your life. Everyone else is going to tell you, even the ones that love you, be more, do more, be something, be like, overcome this, overcome that, connect, activate, do Rise. And Jesus says, I'm not telling you any of that stuff. I'm actually bringing you good news. Notice the good news is that Jesus sets the captives free. There's no instruction on how to be a better captive. Notice in this text in Isaiah, Jesus gives sight to the blind. He doesn't tell you how you can see better or heal yourself. Notice that Jesus frees the oppressed. There's no instruction manual on how to overcome oppression. Notice that Jesus freely loves. You get the favor of the Lord. He's there to proclaim the favor of the Lord. So he's here to proclaim God loves you and accepts you. He's here to proclaim 
God is loving, and he loves that he accepts you. He doesn't proclaim. There's no instructions on how you become lovely, how you can make yourself acceptable. There's no how-to on how to activate a way to connect to God. So the, the question is, why did Jesus rise? The first answer we saw is because we can't. The second answer is because he is good news. Why did Jesus rise? Now, this is a phenomenal text. It's in Acts 2. So again, Luke is a historian. So what he's doing is like he's going into the historical realities. He's, he's concerned about messages, certainly, but he's concerned mostly about giving you what actually happened because Christianity is absolutely historical. Christianity is what happens in real life, in real times, in real people, in real places, Christianity is as real as it gets. It's so real that people try to superimpose a super spirituality on it. People try to say, no, this has got to be a higher, more above kind of teaching and religion. And Christianity always resists that. Christianity always says, no, it's really, it's like the first thing that happens in the garden is a marriage. And strangely, the first thing Jesus does when he performs a miracle is he goes to a marriage. Just kind of real stuff, real homes, real marriages, real families, real sisters pulling or brothers pulling the hair of their sisters, real stuff. And so what Luke is documenting is he wants to give you just the facts, but he wants to give you just the facts in a place no one has been. In other words, everybody wonders, so what happened after Jesus has died? So when Jesus cries out, it is finished, what happens to him? Where does he go? What happens? What happens when they pull his body down off the cross? What happens when they put him in the tomb? Everybody wants to know. Don't you wish you could like go in and see what happens when that happens? And Luke says, I'll take you where that happens. And now we know that God actually wants you and me to go there. And this is what happened. God raised him up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. What happens after the cross? What happens inside the grave? What happens in the darkest place in human history? What happens to the darkest location ever recorded in the cosmos? What happens in that place? And the camera, the camera goes in or the drone goes into the grave. And the first thing we see, there's pangs there. Literally, the translation is great pains. There's great pains of death. There, these great pains of death are like death strips, linens that are just cords all wrapped around him is what it looks like, like chains, like he's wrapped in the great chains and pains of death. That's what the text wants you to see. And then the second thing the text wants you to see is that there's the loosening of these pangs of death. There's a loosening, and it's so simple because it's actually a word that is so simple. It's the simple act of untying. It's almost like you're untying your shoes. And so in the grave, in that place, you have the simple pains, great pains of death, and then they're, they're simply untied. Like, oh, And the camera zooms in, and everybody wants to know, well, how does that happen? Who's doing the untying? 
God wants you to see who does the untying because the text says God raised him up. And the question is, well, why, why does God want you to know that he was raised up? And the answer throughout the whole Bible and the answer throughout all of Christianity is because God wants you to see that the work is done. God wants us to see that he did it. God wants you to see that he's pleased with what's happened. Whatever's happened, whatever Jesus has done, whatever he's accomplished, God wants you to know, I raised him up. I'm pleased. Finally, there's an Adam that did the work. Finally, there's a human being that did the work. His work is done, and so God raised him. Now, there's one other thing that we want, we want to be shown. There's one other thing he wants to tell you. There's one last thing he wants you to see, and it's breathtaking. It's beyond words. I don't even know how we can actually communicate it, but here's how we're going to try. Here's the last thing. It was not possible for him to be held by it. It was not possible right now. Right now, you think your sin is impossible you think your guilt is impossible. You think the brokenness in your life and your relationships is impossible. And the answer to you is, it's absolutely true it's impossible for you. Because dead people can't be alive. But it's impossible for sin to hold him. It's impossible for guilt to hold him. It's impossible for death and hell and the evil one to hold him. It's not, it's impossible. It's not possible that the grave can hold him. I mean, can you almost hear the laughing of the angel when he says, look, he could see it. And what's fascinating, the John text, the angels, there are two angels actually there. This one, Mark, only focused in on one angel. But both angels are sitting on opposite sides of the tomb or where he was laid. And it's so striking because if you go back into the history of Old Testament, you go back into the history of Israel, there's an ark, and there are two angels that sit on the ark, above the ark, and they look down on the mercy seat. And so you have two angels in the tomb looking down on the place of mercy. And you can hear the angel laughing, can't you? They come in, and he's like, man, don't you know? It's impossible for the grave to hold him. It's impossible for your sin to hold him. It's impossible for death to hold him. It's impossible for your loneliness to hold him. It's impossible for all your suffering to hold him. It's impossible for all the chaos in the culture to hold him. It's impossible. It's just not possible. And you can see him with a smirk as he laughs and he says, can you hear him laughing? I mean, I can hear him laughing. You seek Jesus of Nazareth. He was crucified, but he's risen. He's no longer here because it's impossible for him to be here. Why did Jesus rise? Answer number one, because you can't. 
Why did Jesus rise? Answer number two, because he brings good news. Why did Jesus rise? Answer number three, he's the only one who can. Last night I was working on the sermon and I have a dog. His name is Soldier. He's a boxer. I love the guy. He and I kind of just like look at each other and we understand each other. We know when to keep our mouths shut. We know when to go outside, right? Well, last night, you know, we had this unspeakable, we don't need to say a word, kind of bond. And so he knows that Saturday night is like Saturday night fever in our house because it's just getting the sermon ready. And Saturdays are just a crazy day anyway. So after all seven on seven football all day and finally getting back and getting going and getting on the sermon and it's kind of late and everybody else is starting to move on to, you know, towards bed or towards enjoying themselves, whatever they're doing. And the dog comes up the stairs and he just pokes his head in the, pokes his head in the room into the study. Um, I'm too busy for him. So I look over, I'm like, dude, not now. And I just simply held out my hand. I don't know why I did, but it was really weird. I just held out my hand like this to him. Like, I don't know if I was telling him to go, don't bother me, stay away, I've got work to do. And I'm holding out my hand and I went back to just what I was doing. I was reading and I'm going on the screen and I'm flipping this and looking at the screen. And the next thing I know, there's this head, massive head on my hand, under my hand. And he just sits there, stands there, I should say. He's not sitting, he just stands there. And I, I look down at him, and he is, his head is down, and he's just under my hand. Okay. He's okay. It's all he needed. He just stands there. All he needs is my touch, content, at peace with the world, and it's all he needed. And he just stands there needing my touch, and it's all he needed. He didn't need anything else. And the resurrection is Jesus actually touching you. Have you wondered, like, could he just touch me here? Could he just meet me there? Could he just, if he just would show up here, the resurrection is, yeah, he does. He actually touches you there. It's his touch, and it's all you need. And so what happens is Jesus' is rising now is the end of your rising it's the end of you needing to rise. It's the end of your struggle to rise. It's the end of your need to overcome. It's the end of all struggle to overcome. Jesus is rising as you're rising. Jesus is rising is the end of the struggle, the end of the obsession, the end of the need to rise. It's over. The end of the need to be. It's over. It's the end. It's over. You're now justified, the text says. 
Paul says, he was raised for your justification, which means you're now righteous. You know what that means? That means you're now whole. It means you're now complete. It means his hand is resting on your head and says, you're okay. It's all you need. You are finally yourself. You are finally whole. You are finally righteous. You are finally loved and accepted. You are finally an overcomer. You have finally risen. Why did Jesus rise? Because he's the only one who can. Let's pray.